Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to be joined by two magnificent leaders. We've got Dr. Neil Alatraj. Uh, he's the head team physician for the Dodgers, for the Rams. He also has worked with people like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and a number of elite athletes. We've also got Nader Sammy. Nader is the CEO of National Medical Billing Services. It's had tremendous success in bringing revenue cycle to surgery centers and practices. Uh, he's done a second or third iteration of revenue cycle companies and really a wonderful person and wonderful leader as well. We're going to talk about the business and topic of orthopedics today. No one better than Dr. Ala tries to talk about this. Nader also does a ton of work with orthopedic practices and surgery centers. But before we get started, I'll ask Dr. Alatraj, I'll ask Nader to introduce themselves. Dr. Alatraj, let me ask you to tee up and just give a brief introduction of yourself. So I yes, thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and and I appreciate the the uh, the constant uh, information you provide to those of us in in orthopedic surgery, especially in the outpatient type of environment. So you know your your information is also is always very very helpful. Um, I I've been practicing at the Crow and Job Orthopedic Clinic here in Los Angeles for 30 years. And uh, and my practice is focused on uh, uh, sports medicine, a- athletic medicine, and orthopedics geared towards the uh, the active person and especially the the athlete. So um, you know we we've, we've had the the good fortune to be able to to continue to to grow that kind of a uh, of a focus and, and presence in, in what we do in orthopedic surgery. And, and um, primarily we, we do it in, in the vast majority of what we do is in the outpatient setting. Well, magnificent. And just a, your, your patient list looks like the who's who of greatest professional athletes. And so just a pleasure to visit with you. Nader, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Um. Sure, Scott. And unfortunately, I'm not one of those elite athletes on his <laughs> patients. So <laughs> that's that's unfortunate. But um, I started life as a corporate finance attorney and then moved into investment banking in New York and in San Francisco and, and uh, ended up leaving to start a revenue cycle company in 2000, which we built that up and ended up um, <clears throat> uh, exiting you know, that business at which time I ended up acquiring National Medical in 2010. So for the last 10 years, I've been partnered with Lisa Rock, who's the founder of the company, and we've been building and growing the organization. And our core focus is the surgery center world. And we do everything from managed care contracts through all revenue cycle aspects and um, have a kind of a heavy technology and analytics uh, component to to what we do, and so we have you know roughly uh, 300 surgery center clients around the country uh, that we 
we do work for. And, you know, we're fortunate enough to have Cedar Sinai and Dr. Elijah as, as one of those clients. Well, in the, in the reality is you understate yourself as an athlete because I've seen you on the tennis court. You might not be, <laughs> might not be Tom Brady, but you hold your own fairly well. Yeah, um, uh, Dr. Alatraj, you've had this remarkable career. You're, you're one of the most prominent or most prominent orthopedic surgeon working with DVD athletes today. Uh, if you're not the most prominent, you're on a very, very short list. How do you, you're at the Curl and Job Clinic, magnificent clinic, uh, back in the day, Frank Job and so forth. Uh, talk about how you went about building your career and your practice that, that, that led you to this world. Well, you know, I think that I think the formula is is pretty pretty straightforward and simple, and it, and it probably uh, translates into into every other. Uh, profession and and field that you can that you can get into you know the um if you if you are, are focused and and you realize you know what you really what your your purpose was to do then that makes things simple because you everything that you do is geared towards um truly what you're motivated and and what what is you know comes to you as far as what you feel like you were meant to focus your situation on but Beyond that, and, and I think that has to be there for everybody, but beyond that, the choices you make early on in your career, I think, um, will set you on the path to to success one way or another. And and, and so I, I was lucky enough to to come and, and do my fellowship at a, at a place where where they were doing exactly what I had always hoped to do, and um, but doing it at, at the top level at that point in the country, and and. And then, um, you know, working working hard with the with the guys that were here in the in the fellowship program at Curl and Job, um, then you know I was asked to stay um, stay on here in the group, and um, you know my choices there then in in doing that really is what made me successful. You know, if I've had any success, it's because people that were um, leaders in the in the profession. Um, for whatever reason, took an, took an interest in me and my career and put me in a position where I could succeed. And so, to to say that I'm self-made, you know, by any means, could couldn't be a more a more false statement. You know, I think that um, you know you work hard and you hope that somebody takes an interest in you and and those people are on the forefront or thought leaders in 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 what you're doing and and I was lucky enough to to have that happen so you know I I I think that then after that it, it just I learned from the people that taught me I I learned how they they took care of people and and athletes especially and and um I paid attention to to what what worked for them and and I tried to to incorporate that into how I conducted myself and and um so you know I think that I'm a I'm a, a pretty much of a conglomerate of of the great people that that put me in this position to begin with you know let me ask you a question when you work with you know ordinary human beings people like myself or not or others that are, are ability to use our knees, use our shoulders, place which is very, very important to us. But at the same time, when you work with these unique athletes, whether it's Tom Brady, of course, as well as the 10th Super Bowl, or a whole host of athletes you've worked with, to them, it's not just the enjoyment of life, their functionality in life, 
It's how they make their living. At what point was it, do you recall, when pro athletes or, or people that might have been great college athletes started to seek you out, started to say, I want Dr. Alatraj because this is so important to me. I need the best. Do you remember when that was in your career? And what did that feel like? Was that daunting when people of a certain stature? I mean, it's daunting when any patient seeks you out and says, I need your help. Was it particularly daunting when some of the great athletes started to do so? Well, yeah, I, I distinctly remember the period that it was, you know, and we, you know, I was, I was coming along at a time when we were transitioning a lot of what we were doing, in, you know, in with open surgery to uh, less and less invasive surgery into arthroscopic surgery. And so my, my practice has always been filled with a great combination of open operations, the operations that are still done open, um, like, like Tommy John operations that my senior partner, Frank Job developed that, you know, invented that operation and taught me. And, and so that, you know, so those are, those are one of the few operations that are still done solely, um, arthroscopically that, that we do, um, uh, very commonly, but, but also we were transitioning a lot of what we were doing in the shoulder, um, and elbow and knee from, from open to arthroscopic. And, and, um, my mentors em- embraced that change. You know, Frank Job didn't come along at a time with the arthroscope and, and, and minimally invasive procedures, but he saw what would, what was on the horizon and he embraced it and, and encouraged me um, to, to continue to work on those types of techniques and, and to be able to do arthroscopically what he was able to do open. And, um, and so he started to, to introduce me to, agents and, and athletes that, and when they would come and see him, you know, and I, I was, I was helping him and, and he said, he, he would introduce me as, as his partner that was, that was working with him and operating with him and developing some newer techniques. And so, you know, he embraced the change. He wasn't threatened by it by any means. And, and, and I, I, me and my career, I, I mean, I was the beneficiary of that. So, very early on, you know, some of the big name people that were coming in to see him were were get were then just getting sent right into the next exam room to, and he was in, introducing them to me. And um, so it was doing that, and then work working as well as I could with those people, and, and meeting with some good results. And so one thing built on another, and and it sort of established me. Fascinating. Did you have to have a, to be a, to be a lefty to get the Tommy John surgery? Right <laughs> well, Frank, Frank Job was left-handed, and uh, and so did, did, was your question. Do you have to be a lefty to get Tommy John surgery? Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, when, when um, I learned to do the the, the procedure pr- from one of the most elegant surgeons I've ever seen, who was Frank Job, and, and he was left-handed. So, you know, I tried to, to to do a mirror image of everything that he did. But uh, no, he, the, the, the majority of the patients that he operated on were, were righties, even though Tommy John himself was, uh, you know, the, the namesake of the operation, the famous lefty. Um, no, 100%. Actually, but it's fascinating how, how that became, it's one of the only surgeries that I know of that is really known as, after a particular pitcher or athlete or player, it's really known as the Tommy John surgery to this day, which is really fascinating because people of the generation after us don't even know what Tommy John really was. But it's still very much known as that surgery. It's a fascinating thing. 
Well, that was more because of Frank Job than anything, you know, because Frank Job, you know, for the people that knew him, he, he was way too modest. Um, he was a true, true Southern gentleman, way, way too modest to name to, to name anything after him. You know, th- there were some other things that were named after him, some instruments and some exam techniques for the shoulder and for the elbow. That, but but he never he would never refer to those things that had been named after him by other people. He would never when he was giving lectures would never call it by his name. And so there was no way that he was ever going to name a, an operation um, even though, you know, he pioneered it, he was never going to name that after himself. He, true to form, um, he always gave the credit for any of the hard work and the recovery and the ultimate success that these athletes would have, you know, after, after their injury or after surgery, he gave the credit to them. And, uh, I, I think that, you know, so that for, the, for those of the people that knew him would actually, you know, it would be very, very natural. He would name it after the athlete, not himself. Well, th- thank goodness he didn't do the surgery with you know, Frank Tanana <laughs> or somebody else. You know? it, it, would, it would not roll off the tongue in the same way. Thank goodness for all of us. But Dr. Alatraz, let me ask you this question. Higher acuity orthopedics moving to surgery centers, what do you see over the next two to five years? What additional things do you see moving to surgery centers outpatient settings? Well, you know, as as our patient population, including the aging population, are are healthier and healthier, and um, we're, we're we're certainly seeing already, um, and there's going to be, I think, a, just a continued explosion of of uh, the kinds of cases like uh, total joint arthroplasty um, and even spine surgery that's going to be done in ASCs and outpatient setting, and um, you know the 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 less and less invasive techniques, um, computer and robotic controlled uh, guidance and operations, both for, for total joint arthroplasty and now even for spine, and the ability to, uh, to get uh, radiographic controlled approaches and get that equipment into the outpatient setting um, has, is, really going to, is really going to lay the stage for, for all the, most of these things on, in this population to be done um, at these ASCs, and I think it's uh, it's I think it's a big advancement. It's in a big advantage for for the for the patients, um, especially uh, to be done in, in a setting where it's it's highly focused on exactly what they're what they need and what they want, and to be able to do it and go, and go home and and uh, leave the resources of an inpatient setting to to uh, uh, patients that actually need it. Well, fantastic. And talk about new innovative technologies. You talked about the movement from open to minimally invasive. Talk a little bit further about what innovative technologies have helped move orthopedics to ASDs, and, and what do you see, either already existing or on the cusp of being in the business? I think, you know, one of the things that, that we, we need to acknowledge is that the, that without some of the advances in, in anesthesia and pain management and pain control, there's, it would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, to do what we do as an outpatient. And so the the technology, not only in what has enabled the orthopedic surgeon to do things with less and less invasiveness and, and uh, um, you know, with less surgical trauma, I mean, the implants we use now are even the, the, for arthroscopic repairs um, are, are tiny. Uh, and uh, so so the surgical morbidity is, is significantly less. But 
there's no question what, what our anesthesiologists are able to do now with nerve blocks and, and uh, long-acting anesthetics um, have, have made um, surgery, including arthroplasty and some of the bigger operations that I do um, around the knee, shoulder, and elbow, um, much more tolerable for, for patients. And so, um, you know, pain management and, and the newer medications and the, and the technology around um, uh, nerve blocks and things is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a paramount factor in, in enabling us to do what we do. So that technology, I think, is, is as important as some of the technology that's, that's helped us to become less invasive uh, with our techniques. No, fascinating and, and, and so right on point. Thank you very much. Any advice you would have young up-and-coming physicians, orthopedic surgeons, they want to have great careers, they want to have fulfilling careers. Any thoughts or piece of advice you give to a young orthopedic surgeon trying to have a great career? I think the problem, my, my best piece of advice I could, I could give you, and this is from personal experience, and it's worked for it's worked probably the biggest thing in my life, in my career that's worked is that, you know, all else being equal, you know, people have different economic needs and, and um, you know, families and things like that. But if at all possible, when faced with a choice between uh, money and mentor, um, always choose mentor. Um, that that if, if, if you have the ability, if you're lucky enough to, to be able to do that when you, ha- you don't have important people depending on you or where you don't have the luxury to make that choice. If you, if you do, um, and I would, I would do everything you can to put you, to give yourself the opportunity to make that choice. Um, always choose mentor over money uh, because the, the rest of it, the, 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 the bigger contract that you might get, the, the, the higher reimbursement, the, you know, all, all the things that may come along, comes along more assuredly if, if you have uh, um, maximized your potential for your career. And uh, in, 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 our, in our profession, there's no way to do that better than uh, being mentored and, and being able to learn how to take great care of patients so that your reputation is, is because you, you are known to be able to take really great care of patients, even more so than taking care of great patients. You want to be known as the person that gives great care rather than who you're giving the great care to. And, um, and, and then your mentor will put you in a situation where, where, where you can succeed. So that's my biggest piece of advice. And it may, may not sound too unique to medicine, but it certainly, I think, is very important. But, but it's really great advice. You worry first about getting great experience, great mentorship, becoming great at what you do, and, and the money will follow. If you worry first about maximizing each dollar, you're probably going to shortchange your career in the long run. Probably better to really worry about being great at what you do and getting great guidance, great mentorship, than trying to eke out the last nickel in the first contract or in your career and so forth. I think it's great, great advice. Not, I mean, to turn to you, I will, Dr. Alishraj, will Tom Brady still be playing at 53? Or is there some <laughs> feeling on his ability to keep playing? We, we won't bet against him. Um, Nader, <laughs> Dr. 
daughter, let me ask you a couple of questions on the business side of orthopedics and surgery centers. Yeah. You guys have built a remarkable company, remarkable service orientation. Yes, these cases, higher acuity orthopedic cases, move to the ASC setting. What are some of the financial and operational changes, the challenges that have to be addressed? What, what do people have to do to make sure that these work in a surgery center setting? No, Scott, I think it's a great question. You know, we work obviously with um, surgery centers around the country and a lot of orthopedics and, and spine bigger, higher acuity case areas like that that are newer and emerging in terms of these these big ticket items moving um, toward the surgery centers. And what we always try to counsel everyone on is saying, you guys have worked really hard to build uh, a practice and have a methodology and develop these best practice clinical protocols that you've moved to the surgery center. You've invested the time and effort and thoughtfulness to prepare for all of that. And with that will come you know, significant financial rewards, but there's also the opportunity for significant financial losses if not handled correctly. And so the, the big pieces, when, when you think about that point, to really focus on committing to the business side as much as you have, and once you've established that clinical side and, and committing those resources there, um, <clears throat> you know, if you kind of break it down into the buckets is first and foremost is your managed care contracts drives everything from that standpoint. So you need to negotiate good, strong managed care contracts for these high acuity cases that are coming over that have likely not been contemplated by your contracts in the past. And you need really good, um, you really need really good financial data. You need really good, um, um, you need financial data, strong, you need to, your detail costs, you need to understand the market data. It's all super critical to put you in the best position to negotiate uh, those best rates um, for, you know, like I said, if you're bringing total joints over whatever the procedure is. Um, and then operationally, you really have to make sure that your front desk and your process is set up correctly there, starting with your coordination with the schedulers at the surgeon's office. You know, I've had personal experience where you go through the process and then, you know, someone just turns to you and says, hey, do you want to have your procedure in a hospital or do you want to have it in the surgery center? And that's just the question. You know, luckily, I live in this world, so I have some idea of, of how to think through that. Most people don't really know. And there's not really a lot of education from that surgeon's office um, where there's, you know, information or pamphlets or, or somebody to talk to, to walk someone through why you might want to have it in a hospital or why you might want to have it in a surgery center, some of the pros and cons, the cost benefits, the convenience benefits, the scheduling, all of that. So I think that's really important. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that. They're like, how do we grow our volume? Like the first, you know, the first opportunity, obviously you need to do it. The right patients need to to go there. Not you know, obviously you don't want to be too aggressive, but that is the a, a really important place and a step to to have have a strong process to educate the patients. And then having a good pre auth process, so you're making sure all of those procedures are authorized. So you're not getting denials um, for it not being medically necessary, not being authorized. Um, then having a good financial counselor who's there again to talk through the patients, create a really positive patient experience for everybody. And obviously, to collect collecting the patient responsibility is a very important, you know, component of profitability in today's you know world of medicine. And then, of course, having experts to understand how to code, how to sequence correctly, um, and to maximize those dollars, but in a highly compliant way. And then have a really strong AR and appeals team that can fight because the insurance companies and the bigger those dollars get in that surgery center 
the more likely there's going to be a denial and just a flat out denial and force you to make your case, you know, on the back end. And then tying all that together with really strong analytics so that you and your your entire organization can be informed and understand what you're doing, what's working, you know, from a business standpoint, what's not working, what are you getting paid on, how much are you getting paid, how much are you getting paid, you know, for these procedures by these different payers, et cetera. So that that full picture, I think, is really important because, again, these are big dollars at stake. And, and, and Nader, talk for a second about your group has done a number of jobs of just sort of blocking and tackling and working with surgeries and surgical practices in an intelligent way. Talk about the type of reimbursement and margin structure for the higher acuity cases. And give us an example of a couple of the higher acuity cases. Are we talking about total joints, knees, hips? What are we talking about in terms of when we talk about higher acuity cases? And, and what can these mean for revenue growth in the business? Sure. So in general, you know, orthopedics, as we're talking and focused on here, is as a as a general rule a higher you know higher reimbursement per case specialty than most. I would say, you know, ortho and spine are probably at the top of the list. Uh, cardiology is probably up there too. Those three, and um, but but staying focused, the the biggest, the most active high acuity procedure that's moved here over the last few years has been the total joint. So whether it's the knee, um, knees and hips heavily, um, shoulders some, but knees and hips would be one and two, um, you know, and in that order. And and there obviously goes back to the, the how you negotiate your managed care contracts, but the reimbursement significant. So <clears throat> Medicare, you know, before any sort of cost adjustments, paying $8,600 for a knee, um, I would say if you roughly double that, that's probably close to your kind of industry average for, um, you know, a commercial payer so you're talking, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand. We have some that you'll see in certain markets that may still pay thirty plus thousand, you know, for a total uh, total knee replacement, for example. And those are, um, again, how you manage the process and and managing your implant costs and such are important. But as a general rule, those are fifty to sixty percent type EBITDA margin procedures, and as a result. You can move the needle very, very fast from a financial perspective um, as it relates to your surgery center by adding these types of cases. So, so I, you, I'll, I'll just give a quick example. If you had a multi-specialty center doing 300 cases a month and averaging $2,000 of cash per case, so therefore generating you know 600,000 a month or 7.2 million a year of revenue. If you use if, if you assume that's a normal solid surgery center to 20% EBITDA margin, you'd be generating about 1.4 million of EBITDA. And you know, that sort of profiled center is probably going to get, you know, roughly let's just say a set, you know, if you were going to look at putting a an equity value on that business, it's likely going to get um, you know, call it let's say seven times that EBITDA. So you're roughly around a $10 million business in terms of the value of the organization. Now, if you take that same exact center and we're gonna go add 30 total joints a month to that center, which is not small volume, but you're talking about adding roughly 10% volume to your entire surgery center and using an average of $15,000 per case, that would add $450,000 a month or $5.4 million of revenue. So you're not quite but getting close to doubling the revenue of your center by adding 10% of additional cases, if they're the right cases, 
But more importantly, your EBITDA at a 50% margin on that is another $2.7 million. So you had 1.4 million of EBITDA before. By adding that, you just added 2.7 million of EBITDA to get to 4.1 million. So now if you look at that, not only did you go, you almost triple your profitability, which is great from a distribution standpoint for everyone, but you've also changed your multiple profile. You're not gonna be a seven time EBITDA business when you're growing at that rate and with those kinds of margins, you're probably looking very comfortably at 10, if not even 12 plus times EBITDA. But if you just apply a 10 time multiple there, you've taken a $10 million business, added 10% volume to your surgery center and become a $40 million valuation to your business. So it's really very, I mean, there aren't too many opportunities in life to, to generate that kind of value creation with, with that sort of a small impact from a pure volume standpoint. So, you know, there's obviously, and, and we have clients that actually fit exactly the profile of what I said. So it's not a really theoretical concept. If you, as these things start to happen, it really does change the financial profile of the surgery centers in very, very, you know, short order. So it's a, uh, it's an exciting time to be in the surgery center world and certainly an exciting time to be in a specialty like orthopedics from a, from a business standpoint. Thank you very, very much. Just, just magnificent. And what you're really talking about is moving cases where these cases are the right cases to be done in that environment for patients. So at the end of the day, yes, there's a big economic upside, but it really ought to be based on, you know, side by side with the fact that this is a better and safer environment for a lot of these patients where it can be done capably in a surgery center in a place with hopefully just a you know a very sterile, very safe environment, uh, and, and great surgeons, great teams that are really focused on it. I, I want to thank our two guests today, Dr. Neil Alatraj, uh, one of the most famous orthopedic surgeons in the country today, Nader Siami, one of the most successful revenue cycle companies in the country, and just a terrific leader and principled person. Dr. Alatraj, Nader. I want to thank you very much for talking about orthopedics today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Just a pleasure to visit with both of you. Thank you, Scott. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And, and yeah. I, I learned a lot from Nader. Uh, that was uh, <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent synopsis of where we are and where we're going. Well, well thank you. It was, it was uh, enjoyable. And, um, you know, thanks, Scott, for having us and Dr. Eltraj for being on. Truly an honor. Thank you, gentlemen, very much.